As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. Welcome everyone to another episode on this fine Sunday recording of Burn and Return. My name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the grass factor. Martin, who loved that show growing up? I did. I wanted to be Martin Lawrence growing up. Uh, alongside of me, I've got Brian DeMay Ray, a, a gentleman. Uh, how the hell are y'all doing after this fine weekend? I'm doing great, man. Great weekend. Uh, super relaxing. And, you know, uh, in looking at social media, and maybe, maybe we'll dissect this and tear into it a little bit later, but uh, there's some people in pain out there, Matt. Real real pain and we want to do what we can tonight to help those folks and so at the end if we don't have mailbag maybe we'll dive into that a little bit and see if we can provide some solace and some peace right ray yeah yeah we're uh <laughs> we're, the, we're the soothers of uh it's not a very convincing know, response <laughs> Of turf grass mishaps. <laughs> green Doc? Green Doc, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it, Green Doc? Well, eh. <laughs> no, you're going to die. I'm going to go. I'm going to go eat this ribeye. I'll come back in 20 minutes and let you know. <laughs> exactly. Not, not known for bedside manner is anyone <laughs> on this panel. And uh, in fact, Demay, I, I think this is such a critical thing to address that I don't want to save it for the mailbag. I think after we come out of the headlines, I think I think we go ahead and, and address this and, and offer some real solutions to some people in some significant pain. You know, it's um, we, we can't we can't make people wait for this. It just it needs to get out there and, and you know, hopefully give them the opportunity to find some solace and peace and optimism, especially coming out of the headlines, because, you know, we know our headlines are. Uh, optimism isn't necessarily at the forefront of 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 what we do with the headlines so um no but we just no. report on the news and the news is what dictates the the, the flavor and the volume you know so and it is what it is yeah yeah let's dive in let's jump into this one second. nothing to fear here this is just the that is right. We have nothing to be afraid of whatsoever. This first article, the status of herbicide resistance in Ohio water hemp populations. Our fine, fine extension specialist at Ohio State University. Uh, this is uh, the alma mater of, uh, of Mr. DeMay, who's on here. Uh, Mr. Mark Liu has uh, done this 
graciously uh, just unbelievable write-up as to what's going on with water hemp. And what's fascinating about this specifically to me is the summary that that uh, was put out here. And I'm, I'm, I'll, you know, we we've got the, the the links in the show notes, and you know, feel free to check it out and read through uh, in in extreme detail the the uh, wonderful amount of data that's actually presented here. But what's most important about this, in my opinion, as of right now, is um, putting this into perspective, water hemp continues to trend of developing resistance to any herbicide used against it repeatedly. A metabolic resistance introduces the additional problem of having a broader assortment of herbicide and herbicide mixtures select for a, uh, for a, uh, for a single mechanism that confers resistance to multiple sites of action, reducing the effectiveness of a number of control options at once. It won't be enough to alternate herbicide sites of action, which don't happen much anyway and mix multiple sites of action. Herbicide management does not go far enough toward preventing resistance problems in water hemp. Ultimately, we need to scout fields often enough to discover control problems, which could be due to resistance and prevent plants from going to seed. And why I think this is so important is that is, you know, the, the field of herbicide resistance is, is very new, very developing right now. And, uh, and we really don't understand the intricacy and nuance of it, and specifically when it starts dealing with metabolic resistance, right? Where um, you're, you're no longer having plants that are susceptible to single AIs, but uh, it's entire pathways within a plant that uh, uh, you know, various herbicides and various herbicides with different modes of actions may work on that pathway. And due to this metabolic resistance that's now developed is that you're not just crossing off one active ingredient. You may be crossing off 15 active ingredients across five different modes of actions due to this one uh, metabolic resistance uh, mutation that has occurred. And, uh, and that is a real, real problem. And again, I bring this up to state the importance of, if you haven't thought about it, begin thinking about it and integrating herbicide resistance strategies into everything you do. Because what we see specifically with water hemp here is that it's just due to repeated use. Repeated use is, is creating metabolic resistance, which is infinitely worse than uh, developing resistance at just a single site of action. So um, by getting on top of this, addressing it now, and making this a part of what you do, uh, it prolongs the period or time frame at which uh, some of our most difficult-to-control weeds could ultimately face metabolic resistance developing as well. Um, gentlemen, you know, I know, uh, uh, you know, shout out to Ohio State for doing this. I know uh, University of Tennessee is a big fan of, of taking a look at uh, herbicide resistance. And, um, you know, in, when is this going to make its way with more aggression into lawn care? Uh, we're seeing well, it in agriculture. We're seeing it in sports turf. I do not think it is being passed down to lawn care yet with enough veracity as it should be. But wait. There's more. Go ahead and throw that link up, Jay Pink. Right now, your boy, and and really uh, Ray's boy, Jim Brosnan, weed yep. ecologist and scientist at University of Tennessee at Knoxville, right? Go Vol zero orange. zero. Spring spring game national champions, as a matter of fact. Um, they uh, they are uh, spearheading spearheading this five point six million dollar project. That's around the country, so you'll see the sites that they have there. Notice that Ohio is not included, unfortunately. But uh, the big thing, right, that they are, there's their kind of uh, charge of what they're doing right there in terms of the uh, 
distribution of herbicide-resistant populations and things like that, talking about the education piece. So they're really embarking. This is the, a, uh, I can't remember the length of time that they have to study this. I'm going to say it's probably at least four or five years, but uh, it is going to be a very, very interesting uh, outcome as far as what they're able to determine and find. So I'd highly encourage you to take a look at this. There's some times that they're, they're calling and asking for populations from different parts of the country. I know that last year uh, in Virginia, in particular on lawns and athletic fields, they asked for a lot of different samples to be sent into them and or they would come by and collect those. So they're looking not just at the highest of high end. They want to see sort of geographically, right, and then uh, different biomarkers and different uh, biotypes, right, of POA that they can look at and find. And obviously, like, this is a, a grassy weed. This isn't like water hemp like what we're talking about in the uh, original article. The point here is is that it's it's a known issue, right, in all facets of agriculture, Ray. And it's a, a, yes. a great place to take, uh, it's a good place to take a first look, right, when it comes to turf in terms of what we know and don't know about a uh, particular weed, right, that most people view as a weed in Poe Annual. Some people don't, but that most people do and spend a inordinate amount of time, money, uh, chemicals, and mechanical practices to remove and or uh, delay the onset of it. And so uh, it's a great place to start. But where do you think this heads, right? That's that. I'm going to ask you to pull the crystal ball out and say, what happens at the end of this, and where do we go from there? What would be next on your list? What would be next on this is what I always harp on, and that is product stewardship and good weed management practices. I mean, I was basically a an early adopter of those because. I have certain policies regarding weeds in turf grass areas and non-crop areas. They're a little bit different from what most practitioners uh, practice. And long story short is you do not allow any weed that survives herbicide treatment to go to seed or live. That's just and basic. That, yeah, and it's a and it's a difficult thing to implement at scale. And you know, we we don't want to see that have to become the status quo of you know making a pesticide application and then having to go out afterwards and torch, you know, seventy percent of everything you already sprayed to ensure it doesn't go to seed and continue doing this. But you know, if we if we continue to turn a, a blind eye towards uh resistance issues, that is the future of pesticide management. Right there is uh, you're going to be out there with a torch yes. or whatever diesel fuel to d- definitely not light diesel stuff fuel, up, but yeah, to, you're going to be light, to, you're going to be lighting stuff up. Yep. Um, and because, this actually parlay. Go ahead, go ahead, Ray. Because Jim Brosnan is also studying herbicide resistance in goosegrass. Yes, that is, and that is something that's not as widely publicized. But herbicide resistance in goosegrass is a known issue in Hawaii and the Deep South. It is a known issue. And yeah, that the... is why I, I, you know, I've had to take a, a take-no-prisoner approach to it because 
here in my state, we have goosegrass that is less susceptible to multiple herbicides. And that's in, you know, I would get goosegrass would be on the, the, uh, forefront more so if more regions had to deal with it. But of course, you know, people in the North and, uh, especially further up into the Northeast and North and West have never seen goosegrass, never heard of goosegrass, don't get soil temperatures that uh, allow for the germination of it. So it's, you know, widely regarded as, as kind of a Southern weed, right. But uh, a very annoying Southern weed and a very difficult to control Southern weed, especially uh in with the amount of resistance that's developed in that particular weed as well um and this plays into the next article here which is an auburn university researcher uh, is working on nanomaterials to make pesticide use more efficient and sustainable uh dang june kevin wang a uh, auburn university assistant professor of aquatic chemistry is the lead author of a paper published in the journal of uh, nature nanotechnology called nano enabled pesticides for sustainable agriculture and global food security uh, and so basically what they are are finding is that they are being way more selective about uh, the uh, the application of um, uh, uh, pesticides. And, you know, I'll kind of state this right here. Like uh, the efficiency of nano pesticides against target or- organisms is 31.5% higher, including an 18.9% increase efficacy in field tries, trials. The toxicity of nanopesticides toward non-target organisms is 43.1% lower, highlighting a decrease in collateral damage to the environment. A premature loss of AIs prior to le- uh, reaching target organisms, for example, spray drift and volatilization, is reduced by 41.4%, paired with a 22.1% lower leaching potential of AIs in soil. So, you know, in one particular vein, we still need to do our part, but in the other vein is, you know, we've got... Uh, the, kind of the next forefront, the next pioneer of technology that may help us in this uh, ever-evolving quest to be as uh, as, as environmentally uh, positively, environmentally steward positive as possible. I have no idea what I was trying to say there, but if you say it enough over and over, it might begin to make sense. Um, so once you get the, with, can you get those two spoons uh, out real quick? <laughs> Go on. The Go on. Uh, that was a that was a good callback right there. If you have never done the two spoon method of, uh, <laughs> of uh, you know, you 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 missed out. I'm not gonna go there quite yet. I'm run running it. That's a movie quote right there for you. You you have ruined me. Yeah, that's two shows in ways in row. Than one. I know. Two I'm shows a row. terrible. I'm a terrible person. I hate myself. As a matter of fact. Um. Fertilizer prices are still getting higher, uh, and now we're facing railway issues, and this is in uh, Farm Policy News. And, you know, looking at one of these charts from uh, the DTN Progressive Farmer here, you know, we look at retail map prices, and they're just continuing to skyrocket. And uh, and now, again, we talked about this either last week or the week before, um, that it's... It, now it's an internal distribution issue within the United States of the rail companies not wanting to move fertilizers due to the the risk that goes along with it. And it's you, you talk about pouring gasoline on an already uh, smoldering fire. You're taking refined gasoline that ignites, you know, 60 degrees lower than uh, direct from the, the source gasoline. And it's just it, it is a bad situation always around uh you know they talk a little bit about how uh you know yara is still working their ass off to uh get 
trucks of fertilizer into the Ukraine. Uh, they're still operating in Ukraine, regardless of, of you know, the, uh, the dangers that they're facing there um, and how, you know, because we're running into issues on the rail front um, and ha- having to switch over to move things by, uh, by diesel fuel, uh, by truck, right? That, you know, in, in diesel fuel, at, you know, five bucks a gallon right now, it's just, it's, it's compounding uh, upon compounding upon compounding instead of, instead of doing that, that, that yearly uh, um, interest, you know, we're, we're doing this on a weekly basis or a daily basis and it's just bad. And then to follow that up, oh, what ties an all-time record? Well, MAP did. Uh, so not only are we seeing just, uh, again, continued high prices across the board, I will say there has been some softening in urea. Um, urea has come down a little bit, but um, uh, where we are not seeing any softening right now is in uh, phosphorus and potash. That is still continuing to climb uh, and, and bust against those all-time highs. Um, also, uh, UAN. Uh, UAN 28 uh, and hydrous ammonia um, is it's just it's it's not good and uh, and who knows how much longer this is going to continue to to play out into this we're not gonna we beat this into the absolute ground right now so unless something uh, catastrophic happens towards the good there's no real reason to continue to just uh, harp on what's taking place with it uh, now in some better news and back to the pesticide world Valent has submitted an application for a new uh, a new herbicide, and this is a PPOI herbicide. Um, Epirafenicil is the new active ingredient. And those of you that do not know what PPOIs are, um, that would be in the same class as plumioxazine, as carfentrazone, as sulfentrazone. Um, you know, fall in there. And I saw that this particular product. It looks like they're actually mixing it with uh, 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 glufosinate in some instances. And, um, and so I, you know, it, is this going to make it to lawn care? I don't know. It may be like flumioxazine where we see it in sure power, uh, with just a tiny fraction minute of a rate just to act as that little kicker. But uh, it does show that investing in new active ingredients is taking place. And that is actually the most positive news about this whole thing, because when, the money spigot dries up on uh, uh, pesticide active ingredient research. That is the beginning of the end of what we know of modern agriculture. And that is a bad, bad deal. Um, Nebraska Department of Agriculture encourages uh, cooperation between pesticide applicators and especially crop growers. Um, so kind of an interesting thing here that instead of ne- not necessarily just coming in and banning everything and saying, you can't do this and you can't do that. We're taking this away and we're taking that away and we're going to limit you. They're saying, hey, uh, how about y'all work together to figure out how to solve some of these problems of drift and everything that goes on and get to know your people around you so you can understand how the application you make may affect those around you. Uh, so a very a common sense, logical type approach to um, in, in uh, a, a addressing potential pesticide application issues uh, in in Nebraska here, so uh, kudos to these guys for thinking. I don't know inside the damn box, and instead of uh, bitching, moaning, fighting, crying, and whatever the case may be, uh, let's just go ahead and have conversations with one another like human beings. Oddly, and and Ray, I you know you are our uh, our oldest Gen Xer of the group here. Um, do, how much conversation is even taking place right now between people? And is 
is that the major problem that, that we're seeing a lot of these issues kind of uh, uh, cultivate from is the fact that nobody seems to have the, the ability to talk to one another? You know what, Matt? I think that that is 99.9% of the problem. That's 99.9% of the problem is that uh, I've said this elsewhere where the, the problem with modern society is when there's an issue or a problem, rather than people sitting down and having a logical and intelligent conversation about everything, their first reaction is, number one, go to their attorney. Number two, go to their lawmaker and just get stuff banned. At no time is there a conversation or a way to say, is there a way where we can work this out? And by the way, Matt, I've noticed that with the current generations of people even moving into my state, where their first impulse when there is some kind of an issue is rather than having a conversation, they just go extra. They want a law written. They want a lawsuit rather than coming up with some kind of a solution that satisfies all parties and it doesn't involve the damn government or the courts. And, I think that's what's you, wrong with us. Exactly. I think and, that's what's wrong uh, with people. I, I, I actually thought, agree uh, to that 100%. Whoa, 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 Demay. What did you think? <laughs> Well, I, I just thought that when Ray launched into his whole The Problem with Modern Society, he was going to say that people make aggrieved and pithy Instagram and TikTok content. I thought that's where he was going. No. I understand, you, you know, when people get upset being loud, I am, I am arguably, of the three that are on this panel, I'm probably the loudest when I get upset. I do not have a filter, and I tend to just word vomit. But... I would also say, too, is that I, I definitely am not a gigantic fan of uh, I'm not the kind of person that, yes, I may bitch and moan about things extremely loud and extremely aggressively. But at the same time, I'm not going to uh, be vindictive about it and, you know, feel like, oh, someone should lose their ability to talk. Someone should be, you know, pulled off of social media or whatever the case may be, you know, a, a cancel culture type approach. I'm not for that at all. And in fact, like for and this is like some old school stuff, right? Back on on the Facebook groups, I'd get in arguments with people, and people would DM me and be like, "Oh, do you want me to remove them from the group?" From the group, I'm like, "No, fuck no, I mean, hell no, uh, leave them in there, and uh, and you know, let us argue this out in in a very public kind of space here, and and allow people to look at it and form their own opinions and decide who's the idiot and who's not. You know, under no circumstance whatsoever should they be removed, uh, and uh, because there's there's values to this being vetted out publicly." Um, and, and there's, there's something that can be learned from this. Either you're going to learn someone's an asshole or you're going to learn someone knows what they're talking about and either, or could be a good or a bad thing. Right. So there's no reason to shut it up. So I love the fact that at least Nebraska is encouraging a conversation to begin again. Uh, even if it is screaming and yelling at each other, still talking is a good thing. Um, in where we go from common sense to less common sense. And I'm going to, uh, uh, it, you know, try not to bang my head against the wall here. Um, this is from a commentary piece from Cynthia Moulton out of Vermont. 
Um, and she is a PhD professor at Castleton University, has taught uh, ecotoxicology and ecology for over 20 years. Before that, she worked at the US EPA in the Office of Pesticides. So just a real, uh, highly, way more educated than I am, but it's in, in crazy to me, jaw-dropping, the take that she has here. Uh, the Lake Bozeman Association has applied for aquatic nuisance control permit to use uh, Prochella Core EC to control Eurasian milfoil. Uh, and I encourage every person interested in this issue to read the label for this product. And then she goes through and she talks about how this is a selective herbicide. But what happens is that by applying an auxin is that, and, uh, and applying it, um, uh, uh, it will indiscriminately harm all aquatic and emergent plants in Vermont lakes because it is a synthetic auxin. Uh, and so it could have herbicidal toxicology effects on sedge grasses, uh, broadleaf weeds, broadleafs in the in the in the water. Although Prochella core is considered non-toxic fish, so we're not worried about uh, um, uh, killing fish in this particular instance. But not only are we going to kill the bad plants, we might actually kill some good plants too. But what's interesting is that you read a little bit more about this Eurasian milfoil, which is a, an invasive species. And it's creating uh, um, uh, significant issues in waterways, especially smaller waterways, uh, because it will, as, the, as it dies with dormancy in the fall, uh, it sucks all the oxygen out of the damn water. And so you have massive loss of life as a result. So, um, you, you know, it's, it's, it's strange that someone with this, uh, these types of, of credentials and someone with an IQ as high as what she has, which again, I want to clarify, is infinitely greater than what I have, and uh, and 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 so I don't know. Maybe it's my pea brain that is not able to to, to logically deduce uh, and come to the same conclusion that she is, or perhaps maybe she's overthinking the damn thing, uh, which is where I'm leaning on this. Because if we let it stay, we're going to kill off the good. If we get rid of it, we may kill off some of the good, and then allow the good to repopulate. So. I don't know. You're damned if you do. Uh, 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 you're doubly damned if you don't kind of sort of deal there. And it doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, what do you expect from uh, from Vermont? Well, I'll tell you what to expect from it. They are amending the pesticide rules for the first time in 31 years and what that means for your health. Uh, and so kind of long story short here, they have actually made some changes here. And I'm not. I, and in fact, these do not seem all that out of line. Uh, and I'll read the proposed changes here. Uh, Companies spraying pesticides for adult mosquitoes would need to obtain a permit to do so, whereas previously a permit was only needed for the use of larvicide, a pesticide applied to water. A new permit program would also make it possible to obtain permission to remove invasive plants, such as phragmites, from another's property. Joint property owners in condos would be included in the conversation around when and what pesticides will be used on the property that they share. And in keeping with the EPA requirements, there will be a stricter storage requirements for commercial entities who keep and apply pesticides. That doesn't seem all that aggressively bad. Um, and I, I don't know the further details than that. And that's, you know, the, the devil's in the details, right? And so that, I'm sure those are all high level. And, I'm, and you know, who knows how all that plays out. But it's interesting. You go from someone like Cynthia Moulton, uh, as credentialed and elite as she is, and then uh, with, with a, a very non-tolerant view on how to manage um, an invasive species and then flip it over to at least the pesticide rules that they're looking at, at changing and, uh, and enacting. And they actually seem you know, somewhat mild in comparison. So 
I don't know, interesting thing. Uh, gentlemen, have y'all looked at any more details in that, and uh, or am I overlooking anything related to the Eurasian milfoil? I I can't speak to the Eurasian milfoil. I know. Uh, oh man, you're taking me back to studying for my aquatic herbicide uh, license here, but uh, <laughs> it, it it can be it, it definitely can be a problem. The 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 other part there I wanted to comment on was. The Vermont pesticide rules. And, yeah, you're right. There's really not anything that's too terribly onerous. The only thing, that third bullet point down, and some of the other stuff there included in uh, multi, multi-owner multi properties and things like that. So uh, joint property owners and condos would be included in the conversation around when and what pesticides will be used on the property that they share. That seems to me like it could turn into an absolute dumpster fire. I don't know how many condo that, associations there are in Vermont, but uh, if it's anything more than one, HOAs. then it's too much. Yeah, that's that's, yes. that's just not going to be. That good. could be. I would not listen. That, I wouldn't bid the property. Let's just say. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I would. The the moment that. True green. Y'all got a guy coming here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, the moment that I have this issue of an individual condo owner determining what may and may not be done to a property that they are only part owner controller of is when I would say, um, no thanks, no thanks. Uh, anything else? Uh, you know, the other provisions of their rules are perfectly reasonable you know at at first glance uh and lastly uh that gal that has decided that uh the herbicide is worse than the invasive weed is way off base because every day i get to live with that policy decision of the herbicides are worse than the invasive weeds. Every day I get to live that. It, well, yeah. I, it, and you're and you're and you're in a much more tightly regulated place in a place that's got far higher weed pressure than well pretty much anywhere in the continental United States, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 to see that we rather have the invasives than an effective control measure. That's the policy direction of the state of Hawaii. That's their actual and that's policy. A, and it's a, it's a weird thing and it's not sustainable and it's not practical. And, you know, it's, it's again, when we're talking about common sense, I don't see how anybody can look at that and say it's common sense. Um, speaking of common sense, uh, Anuvia secures another $65.5 million from Piva Capital and Riverstone to scale U.S. production of sustainable fertilizer. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Anuvia is, Anuvia Plant Nutrients is one that started out of Disney, where they were taking the, uh, the shit water from Disney and converting it into biosolids. And then they were taking food scraps and converting that into a, uh, a, uh, a, a plant-based a product when they ran out of the biosolids because, well, you know, they, they needed more doo-doo than what they were able to, uh, to secure. 
This now puts a total raise of Anuvia somewhere in the tune of almost $300 million. In fact, I think they're in in over $300 million now that they have raised. So, I mean, what Amy Yoder is able to do, she is the CEO of of, uh, Anuvia. Her ability to raise funding is unlike anything I have ever witnessed before in my entire life. Now, um, you know, kind of working in her favor right now, the USDA has pledged $250 million to support innovative American-made fertilizers, uh, underscoring the need to reduce dependence on traditional fertilizer source internationally. And I think that is a good, smart investment to do. Um, and, uh, and, you know, kudos for them to having what it takes to be able to continue to get out there, uh, you know, re- regardless of the hiccups that have occurred in the road along the way, and yank out another $65.5 million to keep this damn thing moving forward. So kudos to those folks. Congratulations to Amy Yoder. Uh, she is an absolute rock star in the uh, capital, capital raising department. I've never seen anyone uh, be able to close deals like that before in my life. That is a superstar right there. Um, farmers are struggling to keep up food supply as the fertilizer uh, crunch threatens food security. And this is actually going to tie into the next uh, article we have here too. Uh, but, you know, and this is the part of it I wanted to read to just, you know, put this all into perspective right here. In Brazil, the world's, the world's biggest soybean producer, a 20% cut in potash use could bring a 14% drop in yields. Why? Because they can't get enough potash to keep the thing chooching. Uh, in Costa Rica, a coffee cooperative is representing 1,200 small producers, sees output falling as much as 15% next year if farmers miss even one-third of normal application. In West Africa, falling fertilizer use will shrink this year's rice and corn harvest by a third, according to the International Fertilizer Development Center, a food security nonprofit group. And so what? And, uh, so I just wanted to bring this up to say that around the world, these shortages are starting to creep in, and they are doing a really good job right now in the news of documenting how much these countries are missing and 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 I feel like actually doing a fairly good job of not sounding the major end of the world alarms, but at least highlighting the fact that um, we are on the verge here of something really scary that at least in our life, my lifetime, uh, we have never seen before. And that that would be uh, as much widespread famine as could potentially take place. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. I want to make that very clear, but could potentially take place if we continue in this trajectory that we are currently headed in. Uh, and then this moves into more fuel on the fire. Uh, India is facing just an, an absolute crippling heat wave. Wheat has been under significant pressure because Ukraine and Russia, you know, major, major players in the wheat space. And, uh, and so that has absolutely rocked the global market, rocked the global market because as much as one third of the wheat that was anticipated to come out of that region is no longer going to be on the market. And um, then, you know, here we've got India uh, facing a, a heat wave where they're, they're dealing with daytime temperatures of 114 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, wheat is typically a cool season grass, you know, something along the lines of like rye, for instance. And, uh, and so you start subjecting that to 114 degrees. I, and uh, boy, that is a recipe for a disaster. And so that's what's happening. They're sounding an alarm right now. The harvest is going to be poor. They don't have in reserve what they normally have in reserve. And shit is really tight right now. And, uh, and, they're, and they're worried, and rightfully so. Um, but again, I just want to stress that 
here in in for for the conspiracy people that are going to be like oh my god we're going to die in the united states we're all going to be starving and fighting and and killing each other at grocery stores no we're not um we're going to experience high prices here in the united states and probably prices that we never thought we would see for certain items and that's going to be like a lot of like prepackaged you know your uh, your your manly man uh, uh 33,000 calorie microwave dinners are going to be incredibly expensive kind of sort of thing, right? Your, your, your pasta in a bag is going to be expensive. Um, but uh, are we going to run into situations where there's no food in a grocery store? Absolutely not. We, in, at least where we're going right now, the United States will not see that. The, the, the pain we feel here is nothing uh, uh, except financial. Now, what will happen in the rest of the world, especially in developing nations, uh, it could be potentially unprecedented, and it will be something to keep an eye on because as people begin to go hungry in these small, remote areas that lack uh, logistics or infrastructure or access to food, um, you, you know, I mean, we think about like Arab Spring. A lot of that started over hunger, right? And, uh, you know, we could begin to see a little bit strange things on the geopolitical horizon that are a result of, well, you know, food shortages. Uh, boys. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to sound a little more calm than normal here. And to me, I'm trying to take after you and, and not come across as a complete and total lunatic, especially after encouraging people to wear a lead hat uh, last week because there was not enough tinfoil in the world to prepare us for the amount of uh, of 5G waves that were hitting our brain. Um, but, you know, surely, you know, Demay, you, you know. Well, I, I guess let me ask this. Do you, you have any foresight right now <laughs> how do you think how do you think do you think that we're we're going to face and when i say we i mean as a, a a globe not as a country but on a global scale there are going to be uh uh, uh, hi, uh hyper localized instances of famine um and, yes. and people are going to suffer from it okay yes people will <clears throat> die i said it People are going to die. Yeah. Just the way it's, it is. Uh, I don't mean to sound callous or crass or anything. I'm just saying that it it is. Uh, it's not of any one thing of doing right. But the the question is, and and everybody's scrambling to to do a bunch of different things and and looking at it in different ways. And number one, there's people profiting off of it, and shame on them. Fuck those people. Uh, number two, I don't know and haven't seen anything yet other than some of the stuff we might talk about here in a few minutes as far as, you know, okay, you know, we're scrambling right now, but what happens down the line? How are we preparing for the Southern Hemisphere to plant this coming winter, right? Like, why, what are we, what is going to happen there, right? And then also, too, just like India is under the gun as far as weather goes, like what's it going to be like here uh, in the Midwest? You know, they're they're in some really rough times right now. Uh, Water-wise out there here in Ohio, we've got much of the crop right through the Corn Belt, the Eastern Corn Belt, you know, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, that have not planted because it's either too wet, too cold, or a combination of both. And so it is, it's just weird now, right now. Like I, I, I'm trying to find the positives here, Ray, but um, I, I struggle every day to do that right now. Well, it's uh, Ray. Ray is fresh out Ray of positivity did. himself. 
Yeah, yeah, because it, it, it's, it's what's in front of us. And uh, the only thing I can say is that any conceived notions about uh, how things should be are basically out the window, and everybody's just going to have to make do with uh, given circumstances. That's uh, that's my only advice, and uh, I don't know how it, you know, because for me, the idea of a time, date on the calendar, whatever, it doesn't mean jack shit to me, okay? And do you know why it doesn't mean jack shit to me? My conditions can flip, you know, just like that. Like, what I got for the last two weeks is a combination of wind and rain. And it's going to be like that for at least another week. And so, any con conceived notions about times dates or or something that should be done on a specific date can basically go kiss it um i did not mean to laugh but <laughs> someone made the comment eurasian milf oil and uh not that and I, yeah, it's not that's not it that made yeah. me laugh out loud on accident in the middle of ray being getting getting a little dark on Maybe you should get a perspective Thursday. global outlook there, but the, the, the Eurasian <laughs> MILF oil got me pretty, pretty good. Um, uh, who, who was, that was, that was boy meets lock. That one, that one. Got me. Um, before we thank this week's sponsor, we would like to introduce uh, a new segment that we're going to bring to burn and return. And uh, this is going to be a little bit of a callback to things that passed, but with, uh, with the spin of, how things have currently evolved in the uh, in the in the social media sphere, and you know we were talking about this in the in the show before the show, uh, and and uh, uh, Demay did the math, and that between the three of us on the panel here, we have seventy two years of combined experience in the turfgrass industry in some form or fashion, uh, and that is a a pretty significant time we have spent uh, suffering, uh, succeeding, losing, winning. Killing, uh, re re bringing life to multiple you know different. We, you know, things. we didn't calculate there. We, we we didn't carry the one and calculate for all the years of experience that Ray has put into Sheila. That counts. Ooh, that does count. <laughs> now, I think those are twofers, right? The years that went into Sheila count as that's a twofer in turf grass, right? What's sixty nine plus two is seventy one. So you do the math and figure it out for me. Yikes! Yay! <laughs> All right. So what are we? How are we gonna do? We're doing this literally on the fly. So uh, yeah, wait, just... this is not scripted. Speaking of not scripted, yeah. Do you? Is any of it scripted? That's right. Um. Do do does anybody want to attempt the disclaimer at doing this? That I mean, that was that was kind of where I was going with the uh, with the. All 70, right. I'll, I'll take my. I'll do my hey, listen. Number one, if you have a problem with this, you come talk to our lawyer. That's Jesse Bousquet. Jesse Bousquet Law, right? As a show sponsor, he is uh, not agreed yet, but will in principle uh, to backing us up on any claims. And so uh, <laughs> listen, he's all in with it. He's all in. Uh, here, here's the thing, gentlemen. Uh, 
we like to cut it up. We like to have a good time. We, uh, I think we all take an immense amount of pride in what we do, where we've come from, how we've grown as professionals. And this isn't to blow smoke. It's just to say that when somebody does something wrong, we want to point it out and do so in a form and fashion that, you know, might be uh, edgy in some cases, but it's also raw in uh, our, our our feedback that we're going to give, number one. Number two, our chief mission here in doing this is to help correct and provide optimum solutions and not the stuff that gets thrown around on social media that, hey, man, just go spray some of that. This is, I'm not joking. This is a real fucking quote right now. Just go spray some of that Mexican water on it. This is the kind of stuff that's floating. I'm not mm. kidding you. This is the kind of stuff that's floating out there right now. Okay? Mm. So, this segment, I don't know that we have a sound right now to put in. It'll be probably put in in post. No, no, no. We got this... a sound. We got a sound. Are you you sound. already did this? I'm going to give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Bob knows turf. <laughs> Now this we, we, this used to be known as Bono's Turf, but we're going to rename it. All right. Yeah. So this segment is entitled lovingly, so lovingly, Joe knows Turf. We all know Joe. Might we, not be the Joe something you're thinking of. No, Joe. We all do though. All right. So, uh, you pick the you pick the you. We'll, we'll do like two or maybe two or three of these real quick. Matt, you go ahead and okay. pick the first one, and I'll dial in the next one here. All right, so the first one I have to choose is, uh, without a doubt, um, the and, – and, oh, man, can we throw this up on the screen? I'm a little nervous about throwing it up on the screen because of uh, – here, I'm going to send this one to you, Jay Pink, and for people that are listening to this in podcast form, if you want to go back and read the post, but you know, we can at least give you a brief synopsis of what's taking place here. And, uh, and try and make this a little less visual radio, uh, since the majority of, of the listeners do come from uh, uh, the podcast form. There was a gentleman who said that he has 14 accounts and claimed that he was perfectly okay to apply Celsius to his 14 accounts without the need of a license because Celsius is OTC, also known as over-the-counter. And when he was called to the table by a professional applicator and by a homeowner, both who said, nope, that's very clearly in violation of the law. If you're not uh, uh, a licensed applicator, his response was, no, the law applies to pesticides. And what I'm applying is an herbicide. Uh, and this mm. is a perfect example of someone who is highly educated, uh, uh, who leads a successful career as a network engineer. So not not some. Not some guy with a with a uh, 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 a a turf grass degree. Um, I was when I was trying to think of some horrific liberal arts degree. Um, you know, uh, uh, studies studies a plastic containers degree or whatever, and <laughs> and and has decided to become a lawn care expert. This is this is an IT professional that has decided to become an uh, a lawn care expert, and has not quite made the determination yet that. Uh, pesticide is all encompassing of herbicides, fungicides, uh, insecticides. He does not realize that that parent uh, title of that is 
the uh, the, the, the term pesticide. So um, for those of you out in the world uh, that uh, want to argue about uh, whether or not you need to be licensed, uh, if, if you make pesticide applications, yes, that does include herbicide applications. And uh, even though you do have a network engineering degree, you can still be a horrific um, um, uh, uh, eye, eyesore and shit stain on my industry. And, uh, and my... <laughs> Uh, re- recommendation to you is uh, get the fuck out. All right, what do you what do you got, man? I wasn't gonna go in that hard, but uh, just uh, if you're gonna offer advice like that on on using stuff that could literally kill or injure plants, pets, people, any of those three P's. You should probably know what you're talking about before you. No, Demate. This was my my take on it: is that we need to open in a, a medical practice, but we only prescribe over the counter medications, so we can avoid the 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 licensing, the schooling, everything that goes into to operating a uh, uh, a, a medical practice. Right. We're, All right. Then we're, I need you. We're only to, prescribing I mean, Advil. I need you <laughs> to take. Uh, one St. John's wort, and then uh, not two two capsules of fish oil, but two capsules of Eurasian milf oil. <laughs> Links to in the day, description as below. As a matter of fact, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a mute on that one. That's funny. Can you get fertilizer at GNC? I just like to make it a one-stop deal if I can. You know. Well, they, they sold enough B, they sold enough BS there. Oh, uh, it is. Yeah, it is. Kind of, uh, the the, yeah, uh, they st- the alleg- allegory to some of the the people that we know. Uh, let's yeah, see. Yeah, I here. mean, I mean, uh, buy my buy my shit. Uh, also applies to health oh. food places. Okay. We need you mean fake, fake natty and shop at GNC. Does that work? Are you a weak we boy? Sure can. This, this is it? Yeah. All right, here we go. I'm going to send this to JPink real quick. We'll do this one, and then we'll move on. There's people that can't see this for the audio version, and I feel bad, but go check it out on, on the YouTubes because there's some pictures here that are pretty bad. All right, here we go. Let's start with this, and then I'll have a few more to dump in. Bear with me while we start with that one, JPink. Oh, boy. This is this is out of my area of expertise, but we'll kind of give a rundown here that someone said, anyone know where you can order Tahoma 31 plugs? Uh, someone next commented and said, why not get sod and make your own? And then someone said, there are no Tahoma growers oh. since it is a PVPA protected seed, um, oh. but I should have some certified real plugs available in 68 weeks. Oh, and then good someone grief. replied and said, what do you mean when you say there are no Tahoma growers? Um, I don't know what any of this means, but I do know that, uh, Demay, you have uh, worked with a metric ton of Tahoma 31. And uh, uh, can, can you give us a little bit more insight as to what in the world was attempted to be communicated here? I don't know either, other than... Uh... You know, you can you can get plugs. I know there's some growers out there that will sell those, but uh, 
again, obviously this person. Is, so, you know, let's break down these people, right? And 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 we'll try to classify these as we go, week in and week out, because these get sent to us all the time of uh, people that are either egregiously pissed or people that are like, wait a second, this can't be right, right? And they and they you know ask us to vet it for them or whatever. So I would put this into the category of people that uh, are clearly there to just sell stuff, that are there to prey on people and think that they have no other way other than to, hey, there's only one solution to your problem. Here it is right here. Click on my link right here. And shame on those people because there's more than one way. This this person asked a, a direct question is not being given a direct answer, so it's pretty bad. So, all right, Pink. Move on to I think I just sent you one here. Yeah, let's oh, go to this, this is my one. favorite. <laughs> oh Lord. Oh Lord. Ryan. This is my oh, Lord. This is my favorite too. Uh I'll read this here. And uh someone has applied negate thirty seven WG. And it reads like this. Holy crap, gentlemen, I may have screwed up royally. I mixed the entire one and a half ounce container in one gallon of water and applied an entire gallon on 13,000 square feet of heavy weeds in common Bermuda. I totally missed where you need to pour three ounces of mixture to one gallon of water per thousand square feet. Uh, I called oh the gosh. technical representative at Qualipro to see what consequences would be. He said the Bermuda may survive, but really had no idea since it's at 3x the normal rate at least, uh, because there's a little bit more to the story than is sold here. Uh, he said, call him back in a month and let him know so he can provide feedback to others on over-application results. Pray for me. Uh, for those of you that do not know, uh, negate is a combination of rim sulfuron and sulfuron methyl. And uh, where this particular herbicide is extremely risky is especially in high pH situations and applications around trees. Uh, this has a very, very uh, high probability of uh, being able to accumulate in trees. Um, also, uh, oak trees seem to be exceptionally susceptible to it. And uh, and so what we have here is an instance of someone touting this product on YouTube uh, for personal use. And then this is what ends up happening when, uh, you know, your, the instructions that are put out on YouTube are done so in such a way that create this kind of scenario. And uh, in fact, the person who did this uh, originally, How To With Doc, had a video out and uh, made a very egregious label violation in teaching people how to use it. And um, uh, it, it, uh, it did not, uh, it, in fact, immediately after we got off the air, he had to uh, uh, remove that video. You know, there were some people that, that called and, and uh, you know, were like, hey, you, need to, you need to do something. <laughs> yeah, you need, to, you need to bring that <laughs> off the air. Well, hey man, don't what, call what happened? is that, that that one and a half ounces was applied as a spot spray application. That one gallon was not used to treat all 13,000 square feet. It was done in spot spray applications. So we're getting a targeted application uh, that probably that one and a half ounces was applied to 1,000 square feet or 1,200 square feet, somewhere in there, of spot spray, uh, spraying or zone spraying applications. So no, it's not 3x the rate. Uh, we're going to be somewhere around in 44x the rate. Uh, and, uh, and that is an extreme, uh, an extreme number. But, Demay, read this one right here because this is what makes it all so much better. Uh, well, our, uh, our esteemed uh, 
parody account, George Keith Wilson says, it will survive. Chemical companies allow for errors when selling it to the general public, knowing there is a good chance for an inexperienced homeowner to screw things up. Apply a heavy rate of super juice every few weeks to help mitigate any damage. My God, yeah. what have we done here? Ray, the train has not only gone off the tracks, it has spilled over the embankment and rolled into an entire convent of nuns. And here we are standing back watching the flames burn. It's bad. Yep, yep. And uh, first of all, let's correct a little bit of misinformation. Please. The gate is not marketed to the general public. For one thing, Negate no. is intended People for walking application. Home, walking Home Depot and on use. Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's in, yeah, it's intended for use by commercial applicators only. It is not intended for use by consumers at all. And the reason why it's not intended for use by consumers is because the men... The distributor and manufacturer of this product does not want somebody to go pour this entire bottle into a one-gallon hand sprayer and then proceed to draw dicks in the lawn with it, okay? That's not <laughs> how they intended the product to be applied at all. And this is what really pisses me off about the whole herbicide misuse situation this is why we cannot have nice things this is why a lot of manufacturers they will make sure that their product is only registered for golf course and sports field use or, just or even golf? only golf course golf course only because they know that the minute that that product has a residential or commercial lawn labeling on it, there's going to be some moron out there who's going to proceed to misuse their product. In that fashion, somebody's going to get hurt, trees will die, and then at the end of the day, do you know who's held accountable for that problem that's created? Us. The, no, the manufacturer. The manufacturer no, then has it's, it's it rolls and, down and then hill. Once the, yeah, and then once the manufacturer is held accountable, then we have things like, oh, this product is out there, but you think it's going to get registered in the United States? Lord, no. Uh-uh. Goodness, no. Not happening. Well, <laughs> I, I, you know. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Demay. I'm just saying, listen, you know, people are going to watch this or listen to this. And if you uh, let me go back to the disclaimer for a second, if you take offense to what we're saying, then you're not listening in the correct mindset. The correct mindset here is that we're pointing out things, calling them to light. And yeah, maybe we're being a little edgy, but we're just being raw. Like I said, raw in the sense of like, this is our actual like visceral reaction to what we're seeing as it's being presented to us. and. It, it's not that we're mad personally at these people. I don't think there's anybody here that would, you know, go and beat these people up or do something stupid like that. It's more calling no. attention to their actions and saying, hey, you got to do better. 
it's not just about you. It's not just about the fact that you are handling things again that can keep kill plants, people, or pets, right? It's the fact that there's a whole bunch of people around this country, right? State by state, county by county, all the way down, right, that rely on using this stuff properly, appropriately, by the label, by the law. And when you don't, bad stuff happens. And, you know, there, there's that, and, there, and I'm sure we're going to see some of what you talked about before, Matt, before we were in the Apple sh- after or before show, pre-show. Jeez, the before show. Wow. Um, it was, uh, give me those two spoons real quick, can you? Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's, it's that whole thing of old wives tales. You, you just see a lot of bad advice and you, we just can't hold back anymore. That's it. Yeah. So, and, and, and a lot of this, a reason why I, I so strongly want to address this is, uh, you know, shout out to Captain Ramius on, uh, on Twitter that said, uh, you have to beat the social media characters at their own game. Uh, take ownership of being the authority and uh, put out the content that beginners can comprehend and relate to. Uh, so, you know what? I think people can relate to this and uh, and understand. And, and even if they don't understand the nuance of what we're talking about, uh, they at least realize that applying an entire bottle of negate in a gallon of water as a spot spray application is a bad, bad thing to do. And the people that m- make that or uh, insinuate that uh, uh, violating the labels in this works out in people's favors. If you know, hey, just don't worry about it. It's just the label. After the government, or what? What is what is my favorite? Uh, somebody commented and said, uh, "I can see who voted for Joe Biden," uh, and that was in in response to uh, you know someone uh, saying, "Hey, you probably shouldn't spray MSMA." There's people that you know rely on that. There's an industry that you know relies on herbicides, and and, and doing that being irresponsible like that puts a puts a black on that he's like let's see who voted for joe biden and uh and and you know and that's that's the mentality and so we want to highlight that these are the people that are actively shitting on our industry and together and i'm talking to the other lawn pros that listen to us because i know that actually makes up the the majority of the people that do listen to us um is is do, do not be tolerant of this you know we we do not have uh uh an industry uh um we we have to we have to support ourselves we have to lift one another up and we have to encourage one another to be better to do better and to evolve together as an industry and and how do we do that sometimes you have to highlight the bad just as much as you have to highlight the good that's why we have a return section on on the show that's why we have a burn section on the show and that's why we're we're adding to it uh the absolute uh a uh, uh, gem of a segment called Joe Knows Turf. Uh J Pink, if you could hit us on the outro with the jingle one more time. <laughs> I, I, I'm bold. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today. Because bone knows turf. <laughs> And I want to give a shout out because if it were not for Green County Fertilizer, uh, the Bow Nose Turf segment would have never existed. So thank you, John, and uh, for uh, you know you know who for allowing that to to come into existence. I'm I'm forever grateful for it. It sees the light of day again, uh, gentlemen. This week we are brought to you by our sponsors. Um, check us out: Patreon.com forward slash Burn and Return. You know we got to 69 patrons, and you know what we have started. Uh, uh, bringing me back into the world. That's if you've noticed two weeks in a row, I've made a, a movie quote reference. I had to watch Step Brothers, 
And it was painful for me, at least the first half. And by the time I got my third bourbon in, uh, I actually started to laugh and, and have a good time. And it was very awkward for me. But you know what? Uh, we did it. We figured it out. And so now we have introduced the, uh, the watch party. Now, where we would like to get to is hosting a yearly meetup. And, uh, and that is something we look forward to because we have an absolute awesome time like we did at the GIE this year. It was our very first meetup. And it was just, an, I can't even begin to describe how much fun it was. Um, we had lots of good drinks. We had good food. We had a great time getting to know people, shake hands, high five, and, uh, and, and be, um, uh, supportive of one another in all the different endeavors we do. So, um, if, you know, for the cost of an airport beer, check it out. If you, if you like this kind of content, um, and you'd like to show support, patreon.com forward slash burn return. If you're not at the means, you can't do it. No harm, no foul. Continue listening. And, uh, and if you hate, hate our guts, we welcome you too. And that's perfectly fine. Feel free to share your comments, your hate mail, whatever mail at the grassfactor.tv. Put it in the comments below the video. We'll, we'll read it. And I promise you, we're not going to ban you for it. We're not going to kick you off for it. We're, but, but, you know, but sometimes we will air our opinion back because we do believe in dialogue here. Uh, gentlemen, let's check out this week's birds. Is One moan the, for every year of experience. <laughs> did, did she two spoon before before that encounter? Was that, uh, nope. Nope. You know that what, Matt? Charged? <laughs> that's uh, that's just Sheila after uh, I want to say minute twenty five. Oh, oh, there you go. Boy. Sheila's got way more. Stamina. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Oh yeah. Right <laughs> Speaking of stamina, uh, Matt Mazone has the stamina to continue opening businesses, and he opened a lawn doctor franchise. Good for him, and it complements their other business. He and his wife, uh, the M Zone Logistics LLC, which provides last mile delivery services for Amazon from a facility near the Thruway in Montgomery County, town of Florida. Um, and uh, you know this this. This this came up as a as a as a burn. I don't know why I put it on on here as a burn. But uh, what, what, talk, talk to me, talk to me, Demay. Uh, how how did this how did this end up on on the show here? Uh, you, you know, I, I think it's uh, just something to a, a couple of things. One, um, I think that people will look at lawn care as ripe. Right, there's a big thing uh, a big movement i don't want to say big movement but there's a movement amongst uh smaller time investors small medium uh business investors into cash flowing businesses right so mm. laundromats and hvac uh businesses or plumbing things like that and lawn care keeps getting brought up as one and it keeps in in particular the way that the conversation usually goes with this is it's how easy it is all that kind of stuff and then there's the whole thing of do you franchise or not franchise. I'm not here to talk anything bad about Long Doctor. I, I don't know anything about them, and I don't know anything about this person. So either. I'm not really talking about this particular person or this particular franchise. The the uh, one thing I just want to say is that I think you're seeing people that aren't necessarily turf people getting into this space, right? And so how much are they going to buy into uh, – the science of what works versus the uh, art of what sells. And I think that is going to be uh, a particularly interesting, uh, I don't want to say a challenge, maybe a challenge, but it should be interesting to see how that plays out uh, over these next few years. 
The only other thing that I thought and, and that kind of caught me off guard when I read the article initially was the uh, Jay Pink. If you go in the article that talks about the last mile delivery service and uh, keep going, keep going. Oh, oh, they got it behind a paywall. So when I read it, when I oh, I'm a oh, that's right. Never mind. I'm a I'm a business first subscriber. So they talked about uh, that they they have these you know Amazon drivers, these last mile guys that or gals that go out. And they talked about uh, that they have the ability to cross-train those folks to apply fertilizer and apply pesticides in case they need more help and things like that. And I was like, well, I'm not saying they can't do that. That's a, that's a, it's a good idea, but it's also one that probably ought to be careful with. So that was that was the one thing I was like, oh, that's. I'll, I'll uh, try to put a somewhat positive spin on this. And yeah, the... no negative, just kind of like, eh, I got, I just got taken back by that. Is I would say that at least it shows that there is outside investment into lawn care. So they they do see it as a a space that has uh, a growth potential, right? And I think I think that part is encouraging. Uh, and I would say where he has real opportunity is if he does bring someone on board that is of a turf background uh, to give him that competitive advantage uh, and even a marketing advantage. Um, if it is a person with the right kind of experience in his uh, lawn care venture. So I wish him nothing but the best. And, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, guess what? Our eyes will be on you, Matt Mazzone. We will be on you like white on rice. Uh, this next one here is Samantha Power. Food shortages, another catastrophic effect of Russia's war. And we're actually going to play a video on this. We may get a strike from YouTube, but who gives, who cares? I don't care at this point. And uh, let's see, let's see what Samantha Power has to say here by rounding this whole thing up. Actually, again, by this invasion. So we've gone to Congress asking for a substantial increase in humanitarian assistance in, in order to be able to meet those needs. But we're also uh, active, of course, in more than 80 countries around the world, uh, well and apart from this crisis. So we're working with farmers to also increase their production so that you actually have more supply brought on market. Fertilizer shortages are real now because Russia is a big exporter of fertilizer. And even though fertilizer is not sanctioned, uh, less fertilizer is coming out of Russia. As a result, we're working with countries to think about natural solutions like manure and compost. And this may hasten transitions that would have been in the interest of farmers to make eventually anyway. So never let a crisis go to waste, but we really do need this financial support uh, from the Congress to be able to meet emergency (gasps) food needs so we don't see the cascading uh, deadly effects of Russia's war extend into Africa and beyond. Does she say never let a catastrophe go to waste? Crisis, but yeah. Yes. Never let a crisis go to waste. Smokes. I said I was going to try and clean up my language on this, and so I'll say holy smokes here with with authority. Understand, I've got an exclamation <laughs> point behind that, and smokes is spelled out in all capitals and bold and italic. What uh-huh. a... For, again, first off, I do not... I cannot agree with this, and I'm sorry if there's other people out there that disagree with me on this. I apologize, but I do not see... Where utilizing this crisis as an opportunity to shift people over towards cultural practices that have a history of documented yield loss as a good thing. Why are we doing this? We just watched it in Sri Lanka take place before our eyes. 
Have we gone mad? No, you've not gone mad, Matt. I'll tell you what's happening. That is the mindset of... Get the the bleep button ready, J-Pink. Yeah, that is the mindset of the utopians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the mindset. And in order to further their agenda, because their agenda, when you peel back the layers of the onion and you find out how horrible it is and how horrifying the consequences from their agenda will be, there is no good way to sell it to people. So the only way to implement that agenda is you do it when people are afraid. You do it when people are distracted by something else. That is when you slip in these kind of things. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how to implement a utopian dictatorship. That's how you do it. Never pass up a good crisis. Uh, and you know, and you know, and you know who is fond of seeing that? Karl Marx. You know who is fond of seeing? Know. No, no, Ram Emanuel. Uh, okay, and Ram Emanuel was one of uh, Obama's uh, right hand men. Oh boy! Beep. Yes. Staff. Beep. Yeah, chief of staff. Yes, yes, and. Uh, so that is that that is to go to go out to anybody that thinks that I, for example, am one of those uh how shall I say, you know, liberal pro government uh you know people because I'm you. all Yeah, because because I'm always you know crapping mm-hmm. on the people that misuse pesticides. You know, it might, it might be thought that I'm one of those, but then none of, that could not be further from the truth. <laughs> you, you know, and the, the, the one thing I want to comment on this, too, is that, you know, look, I'm not making this a, a conservative versus liberal thing because, you know, we can we the whole inflation thing started with uh, a zero inability of of uh, Trump's party to control spending. It has continued immediately over into uh, this administration here. There's zero accountability when it comes to writing checks. And now we're talking about writing even more checks and more checks. 80 billion here, 200 billion there, 50 billion there, 1.9 trillion here. Whatever uh, number we want to just generate out of thin air, we fire up the printers, let it start rolling. And then you know what? And then in the background, you know what we're going to do? We're going to convert people over to manure because if we can do that, we're going to save the planet in the process. Because the problem with the planet right now is that the way we grow food is we're not doing it with enough organic matter. Meanwhile, what we do have is a huge set of historical data to show that when we did that, there's no way on God's green earth we could feed the population of people. 
We rely on modern agriculture. Now, is that to say that we can't continue to evolve with modern agriculture, adopt new methodologies, implement more no-till and these types of things to continue to progress our yields, to continue to uh, uh, stave off CO2 losses from our soils, erosion losses from our soils? 100%. We have to continue doing that. But to pretend like this never let a good crisis go to waste kind of sort of mentality to me is frightening, especially coming from the government. I do not trust them. I don't. And, and it just goes both sides, both parties. And we could look at the, 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 the last the last four administrations. Which have been kind of like my formative years, right? There has been zero accountability. You can't trust any of them. It's it's all a power grab of who can come out on top the the the, the greatest and brightest. I really need to stop talking about this because I'm going to sound like a lunatic, and I promise I'm only a lunatic ninety eight percent of the time. There's two percent of the time <laughs> that I'm actually somewhat of a of a normal human being, maybe, maybe not. Demay, you've been quiet on this. Uh, talk talk to me here. Bring me back to reality. I'm sweating. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, you increased your font size up to 180. <laughs> it was 180. <laughs> Times New Roman, though, single space. Uh, <laughs> it's unfortunate that she said that because. I don't know that she really knows what she's talking about. I really believe that. I don't know that. I'm just I'm I'm extrapolating, right? She runs USAID, which uh, if if you don't know, USAID is basically in charge of distributing not only food but you know all the aid, right? Uh, economic, monetary um, supplies, things like that to get third world and emerging countries to be able to grow their own food and sustain their own uh, food security and if if you're in that position and you don't know what happened in Sri Lanka and you don't understand currently, like literally today, the unrest that's going on over there uh, because of, you know, I don't want to say knee-jerk reactions, but very, very quick decisions that weren't properly thought out, vetted, or implemented, then I don't know how you're doing your job. I really don't. And so, you know, this isn't a political issue to me. It, it to me, it becomes okay. Regardless of who, whoever is in office and what party they belong to, anything like that, it it, it has to do with okay. There is there are some major fundamental flaws in the system that we currently have to deliver food to the entire world, right? Uh, I mean, you could start here in this country and go down a list of different things that are ranging from uh, it needs a little bit of work to majorly fucked up, and uh, I don't know. I hope that it, here. Here's my thing, right? I was talking about you know what comes in the future and everything like that, and that's the thing that worries me is I don't hear people talking about that. I hear them. Well, we'll deal with it. We'll sit tight. Things will get better. We'll figure stuff out in Ukraine. You know, maybe uh, we have a good summer here. Like, there's a lot of there, there's just a lot of uh, I guess uh, hopeful talk, but not necessarily. And, and again, I'm not in it. I'm not directly in it every single day but just outside looking in it doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies so i would just say that if you're going to make a statement like that 
please at least understand current events, right? And understand that, you know, the never waste a crisis thing, like, I think she probably meant it in a much different way than it came off, but she said it just so, um, just so benignly, like it was no big thing. And like I said before, earlier in the episode, people are going to die from this. There is no doubt that this is going to happen. People are going <laughs> to die. I can't let a crisis go to waste. Fucking dead people and, laying out in the well, fields. <laughs> and, <laughs> sorry, JPEG. So it was a really poorly timed beat, but go ahead. Um, it worked. <laughs> I just hope that, uh, here's what I hope. I know that, you know, we deal with turf. We deal with stuff that is literally a first world problem for anybody. Well, maybe if you're a cow or something like that. I don't know, but a first world problem uh, for 99% of people. And so it's just this, this thing that, like, uh, if we're not, going to take a good hard look at how we got ourselves here how we're going to get ourselves out and again you you can strip all the political ideologies aside from this we can't feed ourselves you want to talk about some major major problems and hell even here the first world problems i just described how many people are going to start to get you know pissed off and think that you know they can they can vote or buy their way out of something like this it ain't it, that's not it that's not it at all um you know because you can't have uh you know, Matt, I can't even get grape nuts right now when I want them. Bullshit. Uh, no, that's what? actually an advantage because no one should be eating grape nuts, as a matter of fact. With, without a, a doubt. Give me a bowl of the, dry grape nuts right now. I'll make it disappear. That is the worst cereal that has ever been put on the market. Not true. That's not true. I love grape nuts. I'm actually you know, going to get a box. I, I, I never liked cereal right here. Actually, Matt. Right. No, Brian, don't do no I never liked cereal, ever. Never, ever, ever. I mean, I think I was destined to be what I am from the time I was a kid. <laughs> well, I mean, well, no I'm cereal. Glad, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you stay away from the grape nuts. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I'm going to trigger the vegans, though. No, I'm gonna. Tr- I would. I would trigger the vegans, right. though, Matt. J-, J. Pink, get the beat button ready. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead, Ray. Because my preferred breakfast is either a pork chop or a steak. <laughs> I think I got him. I think I got him. <laughs> you think you got? I, 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 didn't, I, 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 I didn't hear I anything bad. I, I was supposed to beep there. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. said pork chop yeah. and steak and vegans in the same sentence, and it, you know. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> Samantha they, Power the, may may cry yeah. on TV. If she hears that, um, let's <laughs> move on from this. Um, and and it, we we got to hurry up and get to the returns. We're going to run late on uh, Burns here. Yep, but last go. one I wanted to talk about, and uh, we'll move the, the fourth one over to next week because I actually do want to dive a little deeper into that uh, because it kind of parlays into something we've previously talked about. And uh, so any, anyway, oh, I'm boy. discussing on the air uh, what we should talk about. Oh, off um, <laughs> uh, record fertilizer prices drive investors, farmers to microbes. Um, so basically, and long story short here, and we've kind of talked about this before, but you know, back in the news, we've got pivot bio. Now we have Kula bio and Anuvia are, uh, you know, they are working on, on, uh, either manipulating microbes in the instance of pivot bio in order to sequester, uh, nitrogen from the atmosphere. And right now they are sequestering up to a pound, a pound of nitrogen, uh, uh, per thousand square feet, uh, one time of year. 
And so, you know, if you rely on four pounds for your crop or six pounds for your crop, you know, you can calculate that percentage that can come from a product like Pivot Bio. I'm not up to snuff on Kula Bio. Nanuvi, of course, I'm not exactly sure why they made it in here. Uh, I'd say that's probably more of that uh, uh, lion-like mentality of uh, Amy Yoder to be able to, to end up in these types of pieces. But it, it is indeed plant-based now where they're taking food scraps, and uh, but a little bit different in the idea that it's renewable, sustainable. In my opinion, is a is I, I get it. I do I do get it because there is a significant portion of it. But um, uh, what actually what I like most about their product is that uh, you're you know you're treating it with sulfuric acid and then you know injecting anhydrous ammonia into the mix and actually creating a, a homogenized plant based uh, uh, and ammonium sulfate type of product there to uh, to get a greater uh, overall type of potential response uh, by by joining those two. So. Um, it's out there. It's it's happening. Um, but again, you know, one thing we've talked about before is um, we don't know what the long term ramifications of this use is. We do not know what natural predators are. And uh, and there's we, we also don't have a whole lot of quantifiable data as to whether this is adoptable at scale either. So, um, you know, something to, to have on the back burner to keep an eye on. Uh, but uh, right now it's still in a bit of the fringe. But if it does work out, there could be some real headway, and kudos to these companies for being able to do it. But until then, yeah, we'll watch from a distance and shake things. Uh, gentlemen, let's get into this week's returns. Demay, you have had a uh, couple of uh, positives for the turf grass industry and efforts to grow the turf grass industry in in returns. And so I found this one uh, out of uh, uh, Texas Tech. And I was like, hey, this is perfect. This falls in line. And uh, so I'll read from it here. Um, Texas Tech University's Joe Young, an associate professor of turf grass science in the Department of Plant and Soil Science with the Davis College of Agricultural Sciences and Natural Resources, is hoping to change that. Young recently received a $425,000 grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's National Institute of Food and Agriculture uh, to conduct professional development for agricultural and science, technology, engineering, and math educators centered around turf grass science. So bringing STEM to turf grass science or those interested in STEM to turf grass science. Uh, our goal is to work with educators to provide a professional de- development on how turf grass science can be implemented as STEM. One of the benefits we pointed out in the proposal is the vast openness there is to turf grass. Almost every student in any place could have some kind of interaction with turf grass. Uh, we're currently not tapping into a group of people who could have a lot of interest and be effective at the job. So the idea is to teach the science behind managing turf grass systems, whether it's golf, athletics, or a park or something else entirely, and then also to share stories of individuals from various backgrounds who found success in the field. We want to highlight their careers and successes and shed light on opportunities that are available through turf grass science. Kudos to this guy, and I feel like that as a um, it, 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 turf grass is very much uh, hand-in-hand with anyone interested in STEM, and, uh, and, and that I, I feel like is actually a unique way to uh, to put this in front of potential new turf grass uh, candidates is by addressing it as a potential STEM field, right? You don't all have to be chemical engineers. You don't all have to be coders. Uh, turf grass science is a very, very science-heavy um, field of study and something that you will continue to learn, not just while you're in your collegiate career, but long after your collegiate career, there will be a day, never a day that passes that you have not learned something new. 
kudos to, to Dr. Young for sure. I think uh, on the STEM side of things, yeah, you know, there have been a number of initiatives to push that angle of uh, getting into turf or having that be the avenue with which people do so. And I think the, the number one thing here that you just said, Matt, is, is probably the most important part is that uh, as much as we need folks on the ground, you know, people that are going to be frontline workers and then supervisors and then managers and big wigs and all that, like that's great. And we definitely do need that. But you know, the next wave, right. Of, uh, turf grass professionals in this industry, some of them are going to be coders, right. For robotic and autonomous, uh, equipment. Some of them are going to be, sure. uh, molecular geneticists that are developing, you know, the newest and latest and greatest cultivars out there. Uh, or, uh, you know, we were just talking about nanotechnology. There there are so many untapped parts of this, right? And part of the reason that we don't have it is that there simply isn't that awareness, right? So kudos to this guy for getting his, his butt out there and, hey, printed up, uh, you know, government spent a lot of money, but 425 grand for turf research. We can all get behind that, right? Huh? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Print that money. Uh, what is the what is the uh, the machine gun that our Navy uses? The Sea Whiz. Uh, that is what the United States money printer sounds like when it goes off. Uh, the next one here: uh, BASF rolls out Pillar SC intrinsic brand fungicide. Uh, so, for those of you that ever have had experience with Pillar G, uh, which is the granular formulation of uh, what is it? Triticonazole and pyroclostrobin. Now they have a mm-hmm. suspended concentrate liquid that has made its way onto the market, arguably going to give a much more effective fungicide uh, for the uh, lawn and turf grass market here. Well, so, I, and for those of you who don't know, this is another DMI strobilurin combination product in the vein of Headway, in the vein of Armada. And uh, I actually really like pyroclostrobin. Uh, I've had decent success with pillar g and i felt like the weakness of pillar g was the fact that it was a granular and uh, you're limited to what you can do with a granular now we've got it as a liquid what you got ray matt you know in the early 2000s my main strobular and fungicide was insignia that was my main yeah insignia i mean uh i know I, I flipped minds at the office because they'd ask me, Ray, what is up with this stuff that costs uh, $500 a box? <laughs> because that's literally what, what insignia cost. And I said, what, what, wait, wait, Oops. this will save lawns. I mean, large patch, uh, take-all patch, brown patch, leaf spot. I mean, that's... Those are the kind of diseases that paraclostrobin is especially effective at targeting. And in addition, paraclostrobin is also effective against a lot of ornamental and tree diseases as well, like rust and powdery mildew, for example. So it's basically a multitasker type product. But uh, when you said paraclostrobin, I said, wait. Paraclostrobin was part of uh, a hot mix that I used to use back in the day. Subdue, Insignia, and 3336. 
that's that is actually that's a when i think about classic fungicide mixes right there that that sounds like it. you know how, how often how often do you hear about subdue you know well I, I i don't know i felt like at least on the on the youtube space it kind of when people started experiencing pythium you know methanoxum kind of came back you know but you, know, you came back but back then the, the reason Man, but then of course so that damn. was an was an illustration of my you know infancy in the you know disease management programs because back then i didn't routinely apply elliot to lawns i didn't routinely do that so i was kind of in a curative mode where if i was spraying for disease i also had to cover for piscium because elliot or signature was not part of the program you know and that was my shortcoming back then Well, you know, uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, Pillar is now on the market as a uh, as an SC and uh, no longer just a G. And uh, you know, everybody mm-hmm. gets to take advantage of pyroclostrobin in a different formulation now. Uh, let's check out the mailbag. You've got mail. Yes, we do. Uh, and it is from Girls Lawn, and uh, I believe this is in reference to her being on Thirsty Thursday, which I was not there for that show, but. Uh, She said, I don't know if you remember your recommendations for my lawn plan, but 3,000 square feet of my 6,000 square foot yard. uh, I'm using ammonium sulfate and gypsum for your advice for the slightly elevated 7.1 pH and high calcium and magnesium. I have one more application of gypsum that I'm going to do, but I was curious if the gypsum was uh, recommended simply because of compaction or some other amendment. Uh, And I can tell you right now, uh, Girls Lawn, it had nothing to do with compaction and probably for some other reason. And uh, I'll let let someone else answer because if i remember correctly and without you know listen that was uh at least 10 thursday thursdays ago and a good i don't know ray let's do the math real quick we've been doing math all night but uh, uh, several 32 keystones uh several, several keystones uh, several, several keystones keystones yeah yeah you're right right okay yeah i if, Okay, if, if, if yeah, my memory is relatively unimpaired, my memory is relatively <laughs> unimpaired. Uh, so, the reason for the gypsum is because of your extraordinarily high magnesium level PG, and so therefore the theory on that is we want to elevate your soluble calcium level with the gypsum and secondarily with the ammonium sulfate application. And then what you need to do after you've gotten that gypsum down is start flushing out that displaced magnesium with a lot of water. Get that out of there because magnesium is not your, is not your friend right now because that magnesium is basically an element that is present in excess. Because, Matt, you know when we saw PJ's soil test? You know, it was good that you weren't there because you would have had a stroke. <laughs> okay, you would have had a stroke with with her magnesium level. <laughs> yeah, thankfully I I didn't see it because uh, I don't I do not like working with high magnesium soils, at least the ones I have dealt with, and uh, not a lot's mm-hmm. been been uh, ever accomplished with it. Um, so PJ, hopefully that helped. And, uh, we are going to wrap up the show upcoming on Thirsty Thursday, Cinco de Mayo. 
uh, which is Ooh. the celebration of big booty Latinas around the world. Everyone should <laughs> shake hands with one and offer your uh, round of applause and congratulations on uh, bringing the world what you bring, which is joy. And, uh, and you know what? I tell you what, uh, it would it would be the big booty Latinas that could end the, the Ukraine crisis. I'm 100 percent convinced. And uh, and then people like Samantha Power could get the F off of TV and the world would be a better place. Uh, but Paul Outlaw, none other than Paul Outlaw is going to be on for uh, Thirsty Thursday. And that is going to be an extraordinarily fun show. I'm sure Tequila our, will be had by some. Our 100th episode, too. And our 100th yes. episode. Uh, if you're playing along at home, that is triple digits. And uh, boy, we are, we are getting somewhere in life. Maybe not upward, but we're getting somewhere at least. Because a lot of what we do is side to We're side. We're just passing the time response. more quickly until we all die. Because yeah, remember, people and, are going to die. Who and I, you know, hey, I'll race you to the finish line, Demay. Uh, we're headed to the show after the show to let our patrons choose this week's. What? Can you, can you stick a, a spoon or two spoons into an electrical socket? I know you'll sure as hell try. <laughs> We're going to let the patrons <laughs> choose this week's episode. We'll see y'all on the next one.